it's hard to imagine <clears throat> what many Christians go through uh, for our faith. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and that's why we, we played this little clip about Pastor Han over in China. And if you miss, we will pray, um, but we're called for more than that. And in Hebrews 13.3, the writer says this, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also are in the body. In the early church, there's a, there was a pagan orator, a, a writer, a talker, and he, he commented about the Christians. He wrote this, If they hear that any one of their number is imprisoned or in distress for the sake of their Christ's name, they all render aid in, in his necessity, and if he can be redeemed, they set him free. And then Origen, who was a, 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 was a big leader in the early church, it was said of him that when he was young, he would not... Only was he at the side of the holy martyrs in their imprisonment and until their final condemnation. But when they were led to death, he boldly accompanied them into danger. And so our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, we know, we hear the stories who are persecuted throughout the world. And the writer in Hebrews, in that verse, he gives a kind of a reason why we should remember them. He says, because... Since you also are in the body, we are a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and they as well. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're called to remember them as if we were with them in that pain, in that prison, um, and to remember them deeply because they're part of the body of Christ. So with that in mind, pray with me as we pray for our, our, our persecuted brothers and sisters throughout the world. Uh, Father... I I can't imagine the I can't imagine the situation of a lot of people, a lot of believers in our world today go through the danger um, to themselves, but also to their their families and just that threat of danger. Um, Lord, we pray that you you give them a sense that you're with them, God, that you are in control. Um, Lord, I think about uh, the Book of Revelation where John's writing to heavily persecuted believers and his main theme is God is in control. God is in control. God will pray that that is impressed on our, our fellow believers who are in some rough times um, in different parts of the world as well as in our own country. Um, and Father, we pray that you continue to show yourself faithful for providing for their families I think of different different men who may be in prison and then their, their wives and their kids who are kind of left on their own. We pray, Lord, that you'll continue to be faithful in providing resources for them, God. And Lord, I pray that you help us to be uh, active in the body of Christ, whether it be continuing praying for them, Lord, um, giving or even going, God. Help us, Lord, to remember them as if we are there with them, God. Amen. And so we can think about a lot of places in the world that's persecuted. Um, and we can even think about in the past, in history, who were persecuted. Last week, we talked about the Reformers, right? Because Thursday, which is Halloween, we're also the day that's recognized to, to remember the Protestant Reformation, that they were heavily persecuted Heavily, where they were burnt at stakes, imprisoned, 
um, very, uh, they were martyred, very persecuted as well. Um, and to remember where this Bible that we carry, this faith we proclaim has come from. Um, Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this. He said, we who have had the gospel passed to us by our martyr hands dare not trifle with it, nor sit by and hear it denied by traitors. The faith I hold bears upon it marks of the blood of my ancestors. Shall I deny their faith for which they left their native land to sojourn here? Shall we cast away the treasure which was handed, handed to us through the bars of prisons or came to us with flames? And so pressing on us how the treasure that we have, that so many have sacrificed for, not in a way to guilt us, but just to remind us what we do have in front of us, the faith that we do have. And so much so that we're looking at the book of Galatians, where Paul, he sees this, and he's given a huge defense. He's let it all out, defending the gospel. That there's only one way for man and woman and anyone else to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. As we looked at last week, where Paul was saying, there's no other gospel. And he was very adamant, talking about the false teachers, defending the gospel from them, and telling them, let them be damned, because this is the only way. And so he was defending it. And so today, I want to do two things with our passage. So we're picking up in verse 10. Two things. The first thing is I want to look at what Paul is saying here. And that seem, might seem obvious that we're going to do that. But this whole section here, 10 through the end of chapter 1, is this one point that Paul is trying to make. He makes it very clear in 11, then he gives evidence and explanation for it. One point. And if you look at it really briefly right now, it's, it's a narrative. He's telling about his life. He's talking about some travels even. And at times, if you're like me, you can be like, okay, what's the point of me reading this? Like, okay, I see, that's great, that's cool, but what's the point? And that's the second thing I wanted to get to after we talk about what, what Paul is saying here. Why does it matter to us today what Paul is doing and what he's trying to say? And so we'll dive into that. Those two things. What does Paul mean? Like, what's the point? What is this argument that he's trying to give? Because he's defending the gospel. And the second point was, what does that have to do with us today? And so please pray with me as we open this up. Uh, Father... Um, Lord, I think about the song we just sung, How Great Is Our God, and I just think about how great you are, Lord, for forgiving us. Uh, I think about just the week uh, of just being impatient, um, angry, doubt. Lord, thank you that you are so great that you forgive us, Lord. And God, as we open up here in Galatians, we know... Lord, we know that we're not going to get anything from this unless you work, unless your spirit moves in our hearts. And I pray, God, may that be the case here, that you work in our lives today. Amen. So we're looking at verse 10, chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 through the end, goes through 24. So he, he lays out a narrative of his life. We'll see him kind of briefly talk about his life before Christ, um, his conversion experience, and then the, the fallen years after. And there is one point that he's doing this. He makes it clear in verse 11. There's one reason he's doing this, and that's to defend the gospel. And the way he's doing that is to show that the gospel is not man's gospel, but it's God's gospel. It came directly from man. It has nothing to do with man. He didn't consult with any man. It is from God. 
And the reason he's doing this is because the false teachers are accusing him that it is man's gospel that he got from man, it's not from God. And so Paul makes it very clear here that's not the case at all. And we'll see that as we go through this. So let's read this together to, um, in verse 10. For in my now, and remember, he just finished saying, let those who are teaching any other gospel be damned. Then he picks up verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For if you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. For I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea, that are in Christ. There are only here, it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. So we got this, this section. He gives us a little bit of stuff here in the beginning, and then he goes into kind of a, a record of his history, and he talks about the first years of his life as, as a believer. Keeping in mind through all of this, Paul was in the area of Galatia on his first missionary journey. He was there. He preached the gospel. He left. Not soon after, the false teachers came in, the Judaizers. Uh, so called that because they were teaching, hey, you Gentiles, you first have to become a Jew. You have to follow the Mosaic law. You have to be circumcised, keep these festivals, observe the Sabbath, and then you can be saved in Christ. They were teaching that. And Paul is running back. No, there is no other gospel. And he's defending himself, as we saw a little bit last week, his apostleship. And now he's defending that his message came from God and not man. So we keep that in mind, that this is the whole reason why he's doing this. He's making this case. So verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so evidently, and as we'll see throughout this passage, the accusation against Paul was that he's watering down the gospel. Paul, you're just out there removing that they have to, they have to be circumcised, circumcised. You're removing the fact that they have to follow the law just because you want to please man, to please the Gentiles. That's what they're accusing him of. You're watering down the gospel, Paul. And so Paul says, verse 10, Am I trying to please man? He's saying, no, I'm not at all. I'm trying to please God. And then he says at the end there, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Following 
fallen Christ is antithetical to pleasing man. And we'll look a little bit there, a little later. Some interesting that I thought was interesting. He says, if I were still trying to please man. So there was a time in Paul's life where he was trying to please man. And we see later, verse 13 and 14, when he talks about how zealous he was, how much he was advancing in Judaism. We see that that's what he's referring to. But Paul makes it clear right away, I'm not trying to please man. I'm not watered down the gospel. This is God's gospel and not mine. And that's exactly what he says, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, and that phrase, I would have you know, is not, not kind of, hey, just so you know. It's, let me make it perfectly clear. That's how strong it is. Let me make it perfectly clear to you, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. And so he makes it clear. This is not man's gospel. You have to ask the question, what's, who really cares if it's from man or from God? And I know this might be obvious, but if it's from man, that means it could be fallible. There could be some things that were are a little twisted or a little off. Uh, for example, um, the, the epitome of man's knowledge would be like science, right? And science, which a lot of good comes from, no question, medicine, all this different stuff, technology, super good. But when it definitely comes to areas of God, the existence of God, all these other areas, it can be almost foolish. Uh, for example, at one time, the brightest people of the day used to believe, and I kid you not, that the mother's thought during pregnancy could create birth defects, just her thoughts. It was called... Um, maternal impression. They used to think the earth was the center of the universe. Then they thought the sun was. But now we know today that the sun is not the center of the entire universe. They used to think the earth was flat. They used to think the earth was, um, there was nothing in the middle. It was hollow. The point being, the epitome of human knowledge is fallible. It changes. We, we learn that things are new, that, that that's false. We see that throughout science. But they always hold this hope that, hey, in time we'll know. In time we'll know. The point being, it's fallible. And so Paul makes it very clear, this is not man's gospel. I've got it directly from God. He says that verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then the verses following, he defends that. He defends the point that it came directly from a revelation of Christ. Uh, before we look at the next verses, when he says, I was not taught it, he, there's a good chance Paul is making a jab at the false teachers. Most likely, these the Judaizers, they, they didn't learn their false gospel um, by studying the scriptures. They didn't learn it by, from a revelation of God, not at all, but most likely they learned it like most Jews did. And that's by the, the tradition passed down by passed down, a uh, human interpretation. Um, not the origin was good, the Old, the Old Testament, but over so many passing down, it got kind of twisted by human interpretation. And so Paul, he's kind of making a jab here. I was not taught it like you guys. I was not taught it, but it came from a direct revelation of Christ. And this revelation... Um, 
for a back, uh, a lack of a, a better word, it's not some kind of um, intangible thing. This was real. The same word for revelation is used when Jesus will return. It won't be a dream. It won't be some kind of vision even. It will be a most real event as we are here today. Paul saying, that's what happened to me. He actually talks about it in Acts 26 when he recounts of this revelation. And then we'll get into the rest of the verses where Paul defends it. And in Acts 26, he's standing before King Agrippa, defending himself. He says this. So Acts 26, verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul's the revelation of Christ to Paul and the rest of these verses. Number one. He's trying to prove that this was a revelation of Christ. This was not a man. And number two, he did not receive it from any man. And there's great reason why we're going through this. This does mean a lot to us. So follow with me. Verse 13. So he goes, in his defense, it's a revelation from Christ. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Former life. Like conduct. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. The, the word he uses refers to soldiers that just ravage a city. He did some serious damage to the church. The church continued, but he really did some damage. Um, Romans uh, Acts 8 kind of talks about this. And Saul approved of his execution being Stephen, Saul being Paul. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they're all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is Paul before, before Christ. Uh, Acts 9, on his way, before Christ revealed himself, it says, but Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he, if he found any belonging to the way, being Christians, men or women, he might break, bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this is Paul. He's saying in defense that this is actually a revelation from Christ. He says, you know how I was before this. You know I was going on imprisoning, executing anyone I could get my hands on who were Christians. He said, you know that's how I was. He continues, verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. 
So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. He was the up-and-coming up leader. This is Paul. And so he's telling the Galatians, you know, this is how I was. I was out there, couldn't be any more opposed to Christ, any more opposed. That was me. And then verse 15, but. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal a son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So his whole point here, you know I was like this. You know I was completely persecuting anyone I could, and then all of a sudden, I was not. And I was actually preaching the faith that I was trying to attack. And so his whole defense, this is nothing but the act of God, is what he's saying. Nothing but the act of God. He says, he who had set me apart before I was born. We see the picture uh, on the last day, the day of judgment, when God has the angels separate the sheep from the goats. Same word, the sheep from the goats. So Paul's saying, he who had set me apart. Continuing here, verse 17. So he says, he doesn't cuss out with anyone. Follow here with me. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He's saying, I didn't consult with anyone. This is of God. This is not man's gospel. I didn't even go to the apostles. Most likely, the false teachers were telling Paul, or accusing Paul, that he heard it from the apostles, and then he perverted it when he taught it to the Galatians. But Paul's saying, I had nothing to do with them. I didn't even talk to the other apostles. Verse 18, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, being Peter, and remained with him 15 days. Um, continuing his defense that has nothing to do with man. He didn't consult with man. Three points here. Number one, it was after three years after we received this revelation from Christ. Three years. Number two, he visited. The, the word being used there is just, is, it specifically means just to get to know. And number three, he was only there 15 days. And so he's just stressing, and I know this doesn't seem very much to us right now, but he's stressing, I did not consult with anyone. This gospel is not man's gospel, it is God's. This is God's gospel. Verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the, brother, the Lord's brother. Uh, just a note, James, the Lord's brother, was not of the twelve. Um, Paul's using like that, that general term like we talked about, the apostle. Uh, a leader of the church once sent out, verse 20. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Here we see just the, the attack that Paul must be underneath. This is an oath statement, a typical oath statement. He says, I do not lie. He's being attacked so much that he has to input this. Then following up here, then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. He still didn't consult with anyone. The only, they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. That's our passage, and this whole point and the whole thing Verse, uh, verse 11, this gospel is not man's gospel. It is of God. It came by to me by direct revelation as evidenced by my complete, radically changed life. 
I didn't consult with anyone. I didn't even talk to the apostles till three years later. And when I did, it was just to get to know them for 15 days. And I left, and no one in that area even knows about me. So he's defending himself. This is not man's gospel. This is God's gospel. So, who cares, right? Who cares? Yep, you went to, uh, not to make light of it, but you went to, to Damascus, you went to Sicilia, you went to all these areas. Who cares, Paul? Like, this, is a, this, is, this is not a passage. You're like, that was cool. Moving on to chapter 2. Uh, it can be one of those passages. But here's the point. Last week, Paul made clear there's no other gospel. There's no other gospel. Here in this passage, Paul is saying this gospel cannot be dismissed. It is not man's gospel. It's not capable of just going by the wayside. It is indismissible. You cannot dismiss it. Those here who may not be trusted in Christ, you cannot dismiss it. Our lost friends at work, our family members at school, they cannot dismiss this gospel because it's God's. It is not man's. Ourselves, when we are attacked by shame and guilt, um, this week, and I'm just be completely vulnerable with me, with you. I cannot stand when Sawyer cries. I'm sorry. Maybe it's because I'm a man. I don't know. I can't stand it, and I it, I get so upset by how angry I get, how irrationally angry I get, and I get so discouraged. I feel like absolute garbage. But the gospel is indismissible. Yes, that's horrible of me. But Christ has paid it all. I cannot dismiss that. Even though all these feelings, all these emotions are ashamed of me, I cannot dismiss it. And so is you. When you're in that position, you cannot dismiss the gospel. It is not up to you. Christ has already paid for it. And so that's the first point. What does that have to do with us? Who cares that Paul went to all these places? Was that he was defending that this is God's gospel. Because of that, we cannot dismiss it. Those who don't trust in Christ still cannot dismiss the gospel. This is reality, this is truth, this is from God and not man. Number two, from this we see, because the gospel is God's gospel, not man's, salvation is completely by God, and and we don't have any part of it. Salvation is completely by God, and we have no part of it. Uh, Verse 15, so right after Paul talks about his life, Before Christ, he was ravaging the church. He says, but, verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, he was going, I couldn't go even further against God, but God intervened. It was only because of God he turned. Same for us. Romans 5 8. I don't even have it here. Anyone got it memorized? But Christ died for us while we were still yet sinners. But while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were cursing God, while we were rebelling against God, that's when he came. But God called me by his grace, all of God. Verse 16, I couldn't get past this. Verse 16 was pleased to reveal his son to me was pleased. I think we all can agree, maybe I'm uh, taking a step here, 
we all want to be pleasing to our parents. Even for some of us who our parents were not at all godly parents, there's still something inside of us that wants to please our parents. We may really push that down and try to kill that as much as we can, but there's still that desire. And it says here that God was pleased. That, that word pleased is the exact same word. At Jesus' baptism, while the, the, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, while everyone heard this voice from heaven say, this is my, my son in whom I'm well pleased. Same word. That's the word that Paul uses here. In the same way, God is pleased to have saved you. He is pleased to have taken you as an enemy and brought you into his family as a son or daughter of God. He was pleased to. Um, that means a lot to me. He was pleased. It wasn't like, all right, we might as well save Alex. Let's, come on. Yep, yep, cool. You can sit over there by those guys and we'll be over here. No, he was pleased. So the gospel is all from God. It's all God's doing. And one thing I thought about there was because it's all God's doing, there's no one who's too far gone. If you're like me, you may have a family member or a friend you've been praying for that would come to Christ for months, for years. And this person might be so hard to the gospel. Maybe you have heard it over and over and over, but it just wants nothing to do with it. I think about my sister. wants nothing to do with it. But yet God is the one who saves. He's the one who saves. Uh, last month, do you remember me talking about George Miller? I don't know if you remember uh, about the guy who had the orphanage, complete dependence on God. I don't know if you remember that. If you don't, who cares? The point is this. In his diary, um, he talks about praying for five lost friends. Let me read this to you. In November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. Those two remained converted. And so ending up, that's 12 and a half years he's praying for three of the five to, be, to, to come to Christ. 36 years later, the other two were still not converted. He wrote this, But I hope in God I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. 52 years after George Miller started praying for these five individuals, they came to Christ. And this was after he was dead. This was after George Miller died, but they came to Christ 52 years later after he began praying for them. And so what encouragement is don't stop praying. Do not stop praying because it's God who saves. The person's not going to save themselves. It's not up to them. It's God who does it. No matter how hard, how it seems like that is just ridiculous. There's no point. There's no reason why even try. But God is the one that saves. 
The same thing could have been said about Paul. This guy was destroying everything in his way. There's no way God would save him, and God does. Same thing could have been said about me. Could Could have been said about you. There's no way. In the same way, do not stop praying. It's also very humbling. Let me throw this in there. This is not very humbling. Um, there's no way we earn this. I know. Um, so I'm part of the millennial generation, right? At the very tail end, if I, I believe. Um, Sarah's shaking her head, so maybe she, like she's at school. <laughs> if, if in the news, articles, books, whatever, if you hear any word tied with the millennial generation more than any other, it's entitled, right? Am I right? Is that not what you hear? How soon? I, I, I'm not very a lot like my, I feel like I'm the only one different there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but how often are we entitled with our relationship with God? Do we demand things from God as if we earned this? When in fact we earned the exact opposite, punishment and destruction, yet God is the one that saved us. And how often, and how often do we compare ourselves to others and get puffed up? Sawyer, they get puffed up. <laughs> um, and think we're better than them. When we forget that it's all by grace that we are where we are, it's all by grace that we do what we're doing. It is all by God's grace. And so this. This is God's gospel, not man's. We have nothing to do with our salvation. It is all by God. So that third point. So the first, the gospel is indismissible. It cannot be dismissed because it's from God and not man. Paul gives evidence to this. And because it's all from God, is all God is doing. He's the one that saves. And point three is that your life will be being transformed. This is obvious in Paul's life. It was black and white. He is trying to destroy the church the most he can, persecuting, ravaging, going literally city to city, looking for people to imprison and execute. And now he's going city to city, preaching Jesus Christ, trying to tell people all they can about the guy he tried to, the the followers of the guy he tried to kill. Complete opposite. In the same way, our lives should be being transformed. There should be some change. Maybe not black and white every single day, but can we look back three years ago? Yeah, wow, my anger is doing a lot better than I was three years ago. Or wow, I was really beating on my sister three years ago. Or wow, I'm less, I'm, I'm more confident in sharing Christ than I was four years ago. Do we see this growth? And I find it interesting in verse 10, Paul lays out where he says, I, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God or am I trying to please man? If I was, were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He makes it like antithetical. If you want to follow Christ, this is, or if, I should say, if you want to please man, don't follow Christ. That's the exact opposite. If you wanted to please man, you shouldn't have took it the narrow way. You should have gone the broad way. Following Christ means we're not going to please man. It might mean you're not the most popular person. In fact, it probably means that. You're not the most popular person because following Christ, Paul says, you're not going to please people. Jesus makes this clear. Uh, Give me a a few more minutes here. 
He says in verse 15, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus tells his disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, by chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Paul says at the end of his life to Timothy, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Does it sound like people are going to be kind of pleased with you? Nope, not at all. Not at all. And it can be very, very hard. Who, who wants to be hated at work? Who wants to be hated at school? And I think about school, like at the lunchroom. When you go in, it's, like it's a um, commonly used example. But I remember just that, that rejection. You go in, you got no one to sit with. You're like, well, this sucks. So Paul makes it very clear. There is no other gospel. He makes it clear that this is not man's gospel. It is God's gospel, and it cannot be dismissed. It cannot be dismissed. For those that believe and those who don't, it cannot be dismissed. It is all of God. We have nothing to do with it. In the gospel, this, this gospel of God will be transforming our lives. And today we're going to celebrate this as we remember uh, during the Lord's Supper. So I'll ask the men to come forward for, the give, for giving out the, the bread and the juice. And as they pass out the bread and the juice, let's take time to reflect in our hearts. Uh, what areas of our life has God been pressing on? Has the Spirit been pressing on? Um, go ahead, guys. What what part of our lives has the Spirit been pressing on? Uh, our lives will be being transformed. What area is God working on in our lives? And then the second thing, as they pass this out, is to remember the glorious gospel that we have been forgiven. It has been paid. It is not up to you. It is not man's gospel. It is God's. God is taking care of it. No matter how you're feeling, how discouraged you are, the truth is that God has taken care of you. I think about when Paul talks about when Jesus was given up the bread line. He says to to remember, each time you do this, remember me. Remember what's going on, what it represents. I think about in Hebrews when it says, remember those who are persecuted. Remember how easy is it to forget. How easy is it to forget the gospel? Both in our own lives, but also those who we connect with. That they also, Jesus has died for for the people that we don't really like, and for those that we get along well with. Jesus also died for them. Our lost friends, Jesus has died for them. It's indismissible. And as they pass out the the juice, uh, please pray with me. Father, thank you, God, that this is your gospel and not ours. It's not up to us, Lord. God, remind us of that as we go out through this week and as we are continually tempted 
to take a hold of some part as if it's up to us. As if we have to do this each morning, otherwise God's not happy with us. Or as if we have to be perfect and not get upset, otherwise God is angry. He's not with us. Lord, help us in those situations to remember that it's not up to us. It was up to Christ, and he finished it, and it's been paid. Help us, Lord, to remember that.